Hello and welcome to Farm On, the podcast. I'm Joe Phillips. First of all, I want to say thank you to everyone who tuned in to episode one. If you're listening to this, I would take a wild guess that you probably live in a city of some kind. And if you're anything like me, after you've had a long week or a long day, or sometimes just a few minutes of chaos in a city, can make you fantasize about picking up, taking everything you own, and getting the heck out. My next guest did exactly that, and uh, I think his uh, story is really compelling to anyone who's had that kind of uh, idea. Uh, I first met Lindsay Steele um, maybe 10 years ago or so. Uh, His then-girlfriend, now-wife, Katie, was playing in a band. She played violin in a band called Singing in the Abbey, and I was playing in a band called Ceiling Stars. And we would gig together, we would do different gigs around Chicago. Um, And so that's how I met Lindsay. At the time, Lindsay was a a digital uh, workhorse designer. He was working for different ad agencies, cranking out propaganda for the likes of Kraft Foods and uh, other global conglomerate companies. And, uh, but I always found him to be a really, uh, really nice person, really interesting guy. Um, he had a different kind of attitude than the normal Chicagoan, and I would find out later that it's because he's Canadian. And there's something about Canadians that just, uh, they carry themselves in a different way, I think. Um, so, anyway, we were never really close. We just would see each other at different, you know, music gigs and stuff around town. But through the magic of Facebook, I realized uh, many years later that he had suddenly popped up again in my life, but this time uh, wearing uh, dirty blue jeans and uh, sometimes wielding a scythe or working as garden patches, and oftentimes with a giant white Pyrenees dog named Apollo. and. Uh, that's when I found out that Lindsay had started a farm out in rural Michigan. Uh, his farm's called Garden Fort, and uh, he's a market gardener. So if you are like me and you go to farmer's markets and you try to support uh, local agriculture and you see those farmers behind the table looking at you with their big wide eyes, uh, making it really hard not to buy anything from them, And maybe you wonder, what's their life like when they go back out into the country? What's it like? Maybe you have an idea of this uh, sort of perfect balance where they have peace and quiet and time. Uh, Just a quick spoiler alert for you. We do talk about politics towards the end. And uh, good news, we solve the world's problems. So uh, make sure you stay tuned for that. We start off the conversation by talking about Lindsay um, picking up design work this winter just to uh, make some quick cash and pay the bills. Let's go. Let's back to the idea of you doing design work back in the city. Like, um, <laughs> how how is that like culturally? I mean, you, oh, are you experiencing any culture shock when you drive the pickup, or I don't know, know what you're driving back in, but. 
when you come back into the city and sit down at a desk and just yeah. stick your nose to the digital grindstone. Yeah, it was pretty wild actually because it had been exactly five years since I, I left my my career essentially. No kidding. And uh, so it was, it was a trip, man, because I actually ended up working with a bunch of people that I used to work with. Like this company has kind of taken off. Uh, it's called SoulSight and they have, they've sucked up like all these people that I've worked for or with at different companies. Mm-hmm. So I was, I walked in and like everybody kind of knew who I was, even though I hadn't met them before. They're like, oh, I worked with you remotely because that's usually what I do. Right. Um, but yeah, this this specific company, they just they have a pretty good uh, culture, mm-hmm. which is nice. But part of that is that if you want to freelance for them, they, they really prefer you to be in there right. uh, with everybody. Um, and did they, did they know you were walking in from a farm that you've been basically living on for five years? Yeah, yeah, they, they did. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, and they're cool with that too. I think they, I think for both of us, it's a little bit mutually beneficial to have, for me, it was nice to go into a, like the good part about it was going into another environment that's uh, just totally different. Like if anything, it was almost like a break because mm-hmm. I, I just got a snap out of the environment that I was in. And mm-hmm. even though I was working, it was, it was definitely like a, a mental break from the farm, which was, which, mm-hmm. which was nice. I, I feel a lot more recharged going into it now. You know, I was listening back to our three-hour epic uh, hangout session when I visited uh, your farm back in the fall, and um, one thing that you said that kind of caught my caught my ear was we were talking about um, we were talking about actually we were talking about the Garden of Eden as it turns out, and mm-hmm. um, and one of the things you said was it's befitting that the apple is on the back of all of our devices. It, as it's uh, the symbol of being led down the wrong path, so here you are back at the <laughs> back in oh, the yeah. back yeah. in the mothership of uh, design, right? And everybody's got the apple on the back. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. are you able to sort of like, I don't know, parse oh, those yeah. those different uh, disparate ideas out when you yeah. sort of jump back into the belly I mean, of the beast? It's funny actually because it's it's it just is what it what it is. It's uh, yeah. you know I I was. I was there to make money and I was pretty honest about it. Like with some of the other, uh, designers I was working with, it'd be like, Oh, so, you know, like, are you missing being creative? And like, you want to just like, is this scratching an itch for you? That kind of thing. And I'm just like, I'm just here to make money. (laughs) Like (laughs) like I, you know, refreshing honesty, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, sure. I, like I still enjoy getting into that kind of work and um, that work has always been, it's always been interesting because it's typically stuff that you don't really believe in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's for big corporations. Um, But when you get into the work, like you're just trying to come up with ideas and be creative and uh, you know, come up with good solutions. So you get into the problem solving and, and it's always enjoyable in that way. So well, and to me, it's hilarious if somebody from the kind of uh, design world asks you if you miss being creative. Because to me, the kind of farming that you're doing is all about uh, problem solving, yeah. creativity, uh, using resources as smartly as possible, and learning from your mistakes. And yeah, it's just it's so funny how creativity gets uh, 
Right. You know, limited to only uh, you know art and design and music and you know expression, but there's there's so much to it that just creates a livelihood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much. I, I feel so much more creative actually here than I than I do in that environment. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, yeah, and I would I, I would tell some people that too. I'm just like you know if they ask me if I was missing it, I'm just like no. <laughs> like yeah, I'm yeah. perfectly satisfied. I get you know I get to solve all kinds of problems all the time, and and yeah. at the end of the day, I'm solving them for myself, and uh, yeah, that's really rewarding. So. Yeah, and you were saying before that um, you know if you're if you're doing design work, just like picking up contract design work or whatever while you're out at the farm, you're able to work more efficiently if you can <laughs> sit down and 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 focus on design for a couple hours and then go you know mess with the chickens or take a walk or take a nap or just you know yeah. walk the dogs or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You talk about culture shock. That was probably the the hardest part. Was right. just uh, basically you know being uh for lack of a better term just like in a cage all day yeah. like and putting you know putting yourself into like the the structure of like into somebody else's structure yeah um so yeah because there's definitely but that was also the benefit of being in the office is that like i'm getting paid for those days those days that i'm right. there right. And, I'm, and i'm only running at like 60 percent or something like that um, you know, or those times where I'm sitting there spinning my wheels, like I might be yeah. sitting at the desk for an hour or two, not really getting anything done, but sure. I'm the appearance billing by the hour. So production. it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Billable yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well that makes me think so back, makes me think of when you were back in the city before you kind of had your epiphany about farming and living off the land and and everything did you like when you and katie were living in the city did you think to yourself i'm just here to make money or were you thinking like uh being a, a city dweller consumer designer is a is a noble enough path and i'm just satisfied with that for for life and you know uh it's not just about making money it's about uh creating culture or did you have any bigger oh, yeah. Definitely. Notions of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, come out of design school, uh, you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and think mm -hmm. that, you know, like you really, uh, on some level, like design uh, changes the world or it can change the world, um, mm -hmm. you know, but that what happened is being in that field for five years, you just realize that um, even the companies that do some good pro bono work here and there, like, they still have to do a lot of corporate stuff to pay the bills and mm -hmm. and that that stuff's not changing the world that's just keeping it the way it is uh just yeah. like strengthening that culture so yeah so yeah you know i was high-minded about it going in and from my perspective at the time like moving to the city was actually like a somewhat ecological thing to do um, right. you know you're living in you know taking up less land and i could ride my bike to work and take public transit and all that kind of stuff yeah i didn't have to own a car <laughs> right 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 um well and you kind of have to be high-minded about it to a certain degree just to kind of uh, make peace with your life with yourself you know yeah yeah for sure i mean you want to in whatever situation i guess right you want to you want to think that ultimately you're doing something good 
Um, and, you know, we would always talk about like, yeah, we are helping people, but like who, <laughs> who are the people yeah. and, and what are their yeah. motives? And, uh, yeah. you know, once you get into the, the, the depth of it all, then it's, it, it gets depressing. <laughs> This winter, do you have any time to do any? Are you reading anything? Or are you? Is there anything that's inspiring you about the, oh, the farming world right now? Yeah, so much. I mean, it's mm-hmm. uh, man. Uh, well, the urban farmer and Curtis Stone. Um, okay. His his book and then his uh, YouTube content is just awesome. Um, okay. So I'm keeping up on that to to a certain degree. Uh, I read a great book. Uh, by Ben Hartman. He's a farmer down in Indiana, and it's called mm. the, the Lean Farm. Oh, you know what? You mentioned that last time we spoke, and I think you were hoping to get to that book. Yeah, yeah. So I read that. Uh, that's that was a really, really inspiring book. It's definitely helping me uh, to just focus on all the stuff around me that is like clutter, like mental clutter. Okay. That just kind of slows you down. Um, or, or it hides the things that you're looking for. Okay. Um, so yeah, that, that book's been so really So is that inspiring. the guy, is that the guy that runs Never Sink Farm or is that a different thing? Uh, that's a different, that's a different guy. Okay. So the Lean Farm, I think you mentioned is just, uh, basically like focus on high production for small space, but yeah. try to keep it, keep it lean. Yeah. Well he's, so the lean, the, the book is all about, um, so the lean principles come from actually Japan, and it's the Toyota factory was the first one to really uh, implement oh, okay. them. Okay. So yeah, the Toyota factory, like they would be using like smaller factories, but they just tightened production up so much that there was like nobody was ever sitting around waiting. Uh, you know, they'd have like, you know, a set of nuts and bolts, and then right behind it they have like another set, and then so when the first one runs out, you just like put it on top of the cart. And somebody's right. job is to go around and like fill up these trays of nuts and bolts, you know, so that okay. there's never any downtime and you're just like extremely efficient. And yeah. Toyota was able to, uh, I can't remember their numbers. It's something like, like 20 times the profitability of uh, other automakers wow. <laughs> like by implementing these, these lean principles. Mm-hmm. So this guy, he had uh, like a local, there's a local trailer building company that uh, was one of their customers. And so this customer came over to his farm and he's just like, oh, you can, you got to start doing these lean principles. And, hmm. uh, and it really like turned around their farm and it, it starts with that, like just eliminating all the extra stuff. And then it goes hmm. into like organizing and. Um, and then looking at your, your processes too, like as, mm. uh, you know, for harvesting and stuff like that, it's like, what are these extra steps? Like, you know, if you're, mm. if you're even in, like just hand movements, you know, if you're moving your hands too much, like you're just wasting energy. And, wow. uh, he, he even talks about like buying lighter, um, like he'll buy like hiking pants now instead of like denim. 
huh. uh, just because it, it cuts off like a little bit of weight. So you're just burning that much less energy. Wow, that's very like fine tuning specific stuff. It reminds me of back in the day when I used to ride uh, track bikes, yeah, like yeah, track, yeah, totally. track racing bikes, you know, which are like a hipster thing to do in Chicago in the in the late 90s and early 2000s. But regardless, um, you know, people really started to get into that. Like, oh, if I can just you know, uh, drop a couple ounces here and wear a slightly different bit of clothing here, you know, shave my legs, that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. It actually reminds me, there's another book that's been very trendy right now, um, and I believe the author is Japanese, but the, it's like the, the, the minimalist, uh, like how to declutter your home, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, going yeah. through. I forget what it's called. I just bought it for my sister for Christmas, but is it? It's a woman. That yes, it's yeah. a woman author. What is it? Yeah, I, I'm I sure somebody's gonna hear this and go, "Oh yeah, dummy, that's yeah, that right." Those losers can't know, remember the name of that book. Bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, Katie. Katie listened to it, so she she would have the audiobook on sometimes in the uh, house. Okay. So I, I heard bits and pieces of it, and she talked about like the the principles. So yeah, she was when I was reading the Lean Farm. She was like, "Yeah, it's like whatever that book is called." <laughs> Isn't same, that funny? Same though? Ideas. Like, yeah, it's like those certain uh, trends that are just in the air that seem to kind of permeate culture. Sometimes you see them popping up all the time. Um, little zeitgeist kind of activity. Yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. It's. Uh, I feel like the farming, the this movement, you know, like the the new organic growers. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's a, definitely a zeitgeist thing. Like, sure, because all these people are like individually across the board, just kind of coming to the same conclusions. And yeah, I mean, granted, there's like a a, a big push of information going out there right now. Um, yeah, with all the you know, like Curtis Stone's YouTube videos and then there's podcasts and stuff like that too. So yep. the ideas are getting shared, which is really great. Well, it's funny too, cause I was thinking about that lean farm idea. Well, taking the, the lean concept from like a factory like Toyota, which has thousands of uh, employees working in a factory and applying it to your farm, <laughs> which is just you, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while you'll have some help, but you know, um, it's just it's it's funny to me that you're always trying to make yourself more efficient, but it's like you're working in this really complex system. Yeah, yeah, but that's why you know. Mm-hmm. It's like if I'm, you know, every minute matters, and if I am spending like you know, 10, 20 minutes every other day looking for a tool or something like that, that I have no right. idea where it is. Then, uh, yep. it all adds up and. Oh, sure. If you're having to crisscross the, the site three times to grab a tool and get something else. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing in there. Like he, he talks about just like, you know, if you're, if your clippers for trimming tomatoes, like, you know, you're only going to use them for trimming tomatoes and keep them in the tomato house, you know, right next to them. So you're not like, you know, using those extra steps to, to go get Mm -hmm. it and go put it back. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's little stuff like that, you know, but it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. It all adds up big time. Hmm. So, and yeah, Uh, so it's, 
that's been a, a big motivation. It's just like, okay, I gotta like we've been in the house just getting rid of stuff, and then uh, I'm s- starting to get my nursery ready and planning on firing that up mid February. So I'm yeah. in there every other day for an hour or two, just just getting rid of stuff and clearing it out. And, oh, that was kind of the garage in the 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 outhouse, not the outhouse, but the. The separate house, the separate building that has like the yeah, it's a good sunlight on the south side or whatever. yeah, it's a two car garage and the back side of it's south facing. So uh, I ripped a couple of years ago. I ripped the the whole back side of it off, put in some really big windows, and then just uh, the the south facing side of the roof is all covered in uh, polycarbonate panels. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that space works awesome, and uh, my plan for that now is just to i mean that project's been sort of sitting half finished for a couple years so that's a that's something on the list this year is getting that thing polished up so i can actually want to be able to produce stuff in there in the winter time too there you go yeah because it's a big space i remember you could you could really do some greenhousing in there yeah definitely yeah yeah and i'm I'm doing more restaurant stuff this year too so uh like microgreens and stuff like that great crops to carry through the winter and Oh man, there was the coolest uh, podcast on. Uh, I think of the New Yorker podcast interviewing this uh, small green microgreens farmer who was using felt to uh, propagate the seeds, <laughs> and then running instead of running water, he was just misting misting water with the nutrients in it, mm-hmm. um, and the 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 energy savings and the the water savings were like just astronomical you know he just kind of tinkered around and invented this system that he came up with with these racks of felt um that could be stacked on top of each other um i'm not sure how they're how the lighting works and everything but the he was having a problem where he had um too much oxygen in the room and not enough carbon dioxide. So I had to like pump carbon dioxide into the room. <laughs> Go like pull work. a car in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at any rate, um, I was one thing you said last time was uh, you you know when you started the farm you tried to go big you know you're you're uh, uh, you admitted kind of your all in personality you just wanted to try to you know. Be do as much as possible, and then you said you wanted to get smaller. So, do you feel like you're still trying to get smaller, or are you kind of uh, yeah somewhere in between? No, still smaller. Um, mm-hmm. Like this this past season, I didn't even well. I I used a field down the road to do some bigger stuff, which ended up being kind of a disaster. Uh, it was just sort of cobbled together to last minute, and mm-hmm. weather didn't cooperate, so uh, that didn't really work out. But it was a good good lesson. Uh, of basically just you know not doing that unless you're ready to do it uh, yeah like how it should be and um, like with irrigation and everything like that but uh, yeah yeah I mean I, I've gone through my crops from last season and I've pared down like I, I went from two years ago I had about 35 40 crops uh, mm-hmm. last year I focused on my top 20 and uh, this next season, I'm going down to 15. Wow! Uh, just okay. paring, yeah, paring down because it's um, you know it's 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 kind of bottom line stuff. It's sure. it's taking all the stuff that's working well, making money mm-hmm. uh, is you know 
can where I can get the most value out of my time. Hmm. Um, so you know, crops that aren't going to be super labor intensive, even if they do pay back a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Which uh, <laughs> which actually has my my hands on the on the chopping block. <laughs> what intended. do you mean by that? Uh, well, eggs. I'm just. Uh, Oh, okay. Or, your hens are on the shopping block. Okay. I yeah. thought you said your hands. Your hens, yeah. Oh, hands, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, there. Oh, so, you, you're saying you might cull this flock and then just <clears throat> take a break on the hens for a while? Yeah, not not yet. It's, well, I don't know. I'm, it's, I decided exactly what I'm going to do. But, um, yeah. but, yeah, basically, it's like economically, they're not, they're just not worth it. I can't get enough per hour um, using. Yeah like using organic grain and pasturing them. So I'm moving them on a weekly basis and sure. just the time I'm putting into them. Um, I, I'm just not getting the, the return, even though it's like on paper, it's, it's, you know, it's making me like five, six grand a year. But hmm. once you do just on eggs, you mean, or in meat and eggs, uh, mostly just eggs. Yeah. But, wow. but at the end of the, but you know, that's gross and, and the net cost yeah. of, you know, factoring in uh, like the the cost of feed and gas money to go get it, and mm-hmm. um, and then time and stuff like that. It's just like yeah, it's it's barely worth it. Organic chicken feed is no joke, man. It's expensive. It's heavy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, you know, moving. I guess all that if you and around. Katie just wanted to have you know three or four birds to provide your own eggs, you know, that's a that's easy, and you can still have the. Joni, Joni, your daughter gets to hang out with the birds and stuff, but you don't have to yeah. stress out about <laughs> keeping a flock of 30 or 40 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but we did start a new flock last season. So I got like about 75 new hens that right now are just starting to pick up laying and mm-hmm. they'll be productive. And, you know, there's a lot of upfront cost starting a flock. You're feeding them for mm-hmm. five or six months before they start doing anything that mm-hmm. is, is worth anything so i do feel like uh you know it, it's a tough call because it would be nice to go through the season kind of get my money back from them and then call right. them but i could also just like sell the flock off and maybe get a little bit of my money back but yeah uh, it's a tough call <laughs> yeah i hear you so plus uh, like the the one thing that's really hard to quantify is their their services of uh mm-hmm. you know like i move them into my garden beds and they they fertilize like directly on them like right now right. they're in a they're in a hoop house that's going to grow my tomatoes next season and cool um so that kind of stuff it's like how do you uh you know yeah how do you quantify how do you that quantify it sure so well, i guess that's what that's how you would test it right if you got rid of them and you saw like maybe you weren't getting as much yield or the maybe the produce wasn't as big or something i don't know yeah yeah at the same time though you know like a bag of organic fertilizer is, is relatively inexpensive like it mm. it would only cost me maybe i have 30 foot beds it would probably cost me about two dollars to mm-hmm. throw down like uh i don't know like some dr earth mm-hmm. organic mm. fertilizer so um mm. You know, and that's a lot easier to, to move around than a chicken sure. coop. <laughs> well, it doesn't die and get attacked by owls or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
and you don't have to the feed it. The last time I day. think you said you had like 237 beds. Is that right? 40 foot beds? Uh, 30 feet. And, 30 foot beds. Um, yeah, I think that's. Is that right? 237? That, that's pretty, pretty close to the right number. Um, wow. There's some that are like on the edges that I'm starting to, to give up. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just not, you know, they might have a little bit of shade on them or something like that. Uh, they mm-hmm. could be good for growing like lettuce or something in the summer, but yeah, there's certain sections and areas too that are just a little bit, they have those same kind of issues. So it's like, uh, I'm paring it all down. And, and really last year, like I had like a whole section, probably about 40 beds that didn't even get planted. Um, yeah. just cause I, I didn't need them. And you know, by paring down crops, it's just like, well, and, and doing this more intensive, uh, yeah, crop rotation, it's like, you know, you just need less space. And really, it's like, I'm looking at investing in more, like, uh, better irrigation setups and uh, starting to use like landscape fabric for okay. weed management and stuff like okay, that. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the less, the less of that stuff I need to you know if i'm only gonna have to cover 150 beds instead of 240 then uh, <laughs> only a, only 150 i mean yeah i think anybody hearing this would just think of themselves as a backyard gardener dealing with a one one 40 foot bed by themselves is like it's not a small task you know yeah yeah i think you could be forgiven for paring it down to a mere <laughs> 150 <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah exactly Last time you talked about burn a little gas, save a little ass. You still riding the riding lawnmower around a lot? Oh yeah, yeah. That's been a great uh, little addition. Just mm-hmm. having having that with a trailer and using that for harvesting. It's it's been yeah. awesome. Um, also good for uh, all my beds are like you know they're four feet wide on center. The actual bed's about thirty inches. Mm-hmm. Um, but my same with my riding mower it's the same width so i can just ride over if i if i need to cut down a crop uh i can just ride over it and cool. uh was that m- by design or happy down. accident no i was i was intentional about it i was oh, ma- made sure made sure that would work because that, that's something that you need you know to yeah it's either that or i do it with the scythe so the scythe which is fun but yeah <laughs> just break out the scythe when you want to impress the neighbors or something. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of neighbors, do you still have that uh, sweet um, wetland down below where you can start doing your rice <laughs> yeah. planting? <laughs> yeah, it's still there. It's the the dream is alive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I don't know, man. Like. Uh, I feel like my overall goal is to get this farm to a place that it can be just a regular kind of five day a week, nine to fiver and, uh, just a solid occupation. And then, you know, my free time can be, you know, doing stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) Growing rice in the wetland. That's when you go back to reading some Fukuoka one straw revolution and (laughs) do some, uh, no, what is it? no work farming do nothing farming down there yeah yeah actually you know like uh speaking of that wetland like i had some friends give me some uh elderberries so it's oh, yeah. kind of more on the permaculture realm but again that's the that's the fun stuff that's the stuff that mm-hmm. like ultimately i want to do a lot more of mm-hmm. um and it's all kind of back burner 
mm-hmm. as this as the business gets going. But yeah, yeah, I think we picked some elderberries here in Chicago. We were doing some urban foraging and made elderberry pie or something. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty good. They're not, they're sort of like blueberries, maybe not quite as sweet, but but really tasty. Yeah, they're really good. I, the big thing is making syrup out of them, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I was given a few plants last year, but my property it's sandy soil and like the elderberries like. Um, kind of moist, like lowland conditions. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to just throw them down in the, in the wetland. Like nice. I still got them there in pots and nice. I was just couldn't think of somewhere to put them. And I got into this idea. Uh, it was inspired by uh, Ben Falk. He's the guy who wrote the, the Resilient Farm and Homestead book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I follow him on Facebook and one thing he was doing – I don't know when it was, last fall or last summer or something, he was just camping and he would bring um, like a bunch of uh, like chestnuts with him and he'd plant them hmm. as he was out there. So it was, it, the, to, to be like um, kind of the antithesis of the, the saying like, you know, like leave, 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 uh, leave only footsteps or whatever. Yeah, take only pictures. Yeah, take only pictures, leave only footsteps. But he's like, yeah. actually like, you know, we could be leaving, you know, the forest for the new like generation or whatever oh, that's great so yeah i thought that was cool and i was like so it got me thinking about these elderberries i should just put them down in the wetland where they do really well and then they're just down there and uh, it's my neighbor's property but he it's it's somewhat communal like he just lets yeah. everybody you know walk their dogs back there and stuff like that too, yeah so that's cool man um and that kind of leads into the idea of legacy you know yeah yeah yeah, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's the that's the bigger bigger picture goal is um, right. le- leaving, and you know that's that's the rewarding part about doing this work on the house, and basically yeah. every every little effort is putting is going towards that that long term goal. Um, so well, and I, I really enjoyed talking to you about your story because I feel like you. You're 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 such a smart person that the the more you do this, the less effort you're trying to put into it. The, the trying to take it easier on your body, and you know, as you get older, and you and I are, I guess, roughly about the same age. So, I don't know. I'm 42 or 41. I think I'm 42. Yeah, you you're an old man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm an old man, but you know, you start to feel it, and you have to start using your noggin a little bit more. So. Um, yeah, totally. It's uh, kind of back to the, the lean thing. Um, mm-hmm. The big thing that I'm doing this year is putting in a, a walk-in cooler in my, my small garage. I have uh, another garage that I can oh, use. Oh, yeah, because you, you were walking the vegetables down into the basement to, yeah, cool, to keep yeah, them Yeah, cool. exactly. So I'm putting all my tomatoes in my basement all, all, all year and cucumbers and summer squash, basically all the heavy things. Yeah. And... Uh, so yeah, it's putting this walk-in cooler in, it. and and then the other thing I, I'm I'm looking into right now is buying a van so that I can basically just roll everything out on a dolly into a there van, and like the amount, like like to actually do the math and think about how many like thousands of pounds that saves me from lifting in a season, like yeah, is it's just nuts. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and you know, and I. Uh, you know, I'm just about 33 and it's, that's already old enough to, to feel 
uh, feel that. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you talked about before, when you first started doing it, uh, or when you were, I guess, working on somebody else's farm in Wisconsin. I think you said you got carpal tunnel syndrome from just uh, milking goats and doing a lot of handwork. Yeah. You know? But that's how it is, right? When you start off, because you're just excited and you're strong and you're feeling your muscles work in a real not different it's much different than going to the gym or something like you're really kind of waking up for the first time and you want to just do it all the time but it's easy to get burned out yeah it is it is Mm -hmm. oh yeah (laughs) that that was part of the that carpal tunnel i I think it was a little bit or a lot to do with just transition too uh you know coming from uh you know my cushy desk job to to going out to a farm where you actually have to use like every part of your body on a daily basis yeah so you know you you call out the weak spots uh, pretty quickly (laughs) oh sure so what's it been like um just kind of a segue into something completely different but um you know we're living in a pretty volatile time right now and I thought about you guys as you were out there kind of, you know, out in the middle of nowhere um, while I'm here in Chicago and participating in marches and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Like, yeah. I don't know, what's it been like to sort of uh, absorb the news, you know, when at night all you hear is um, hoot owls? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this is... So, I mean, from my perspective, it's like I, I really feel for all my all my friends out there that are, I mean, my, my white privilege, you know, male white yeah. privilege uh, perspective, it's like really feel for all my friends out there. But uh, for me and like what I'm doing and, uh, you know, not to say that like I'm not worried about these bigger issues that Trump's definitely going to make an impact on and. Yeah. Uh, and it's scary, but it's like, um, because uh, I believe so much in what I'm doing and the, and the positive impact of that, like it, it doesn't change a lot for me personally. Like aside from that, having that noise in the back of my mind that, uh, about the other issues that are going on in the world. But like those, those were happening before too, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, like that's <laughs> for me, it's like, I, I just feel like, uh, I'm I'm trying I'm out there I'm trying to build soil I'm trying to make good food for people to eat so they have at least mm-hmm. something positive going into their body <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, you know just trying to cultivate that that good energy and um, and just keep that going and like and ultimately I feel like that's what everybody that's what everybody's doing and maybe it's and in the the silver lining of this is that it's turning a lot of people on to to that like that they're just like I have no choice. Like I, we clearly like the system is fucked, which I've always, sorry to swear, but, uh, it's okay. This is a, this is, it's not a family podcast. (laughs) It's not anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's always been a mess and, um, it's, I think the silver lining of this can be that people are realizing that, you know, this hero isn't going to come save us. Uh, it's all about what we're going to do on the ground, um, the changes that we're going to make in our own lives. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, that's, that's, 
that's where I come from on that. Like I'm just focused on just keeping going and, um, you know, not, but of course not to say that I'm, I'm not feeling it. Cause I got, I got a lot of friends out there that are, are feeling scared and, yeah. um, but uh, you know, same on the same note, it's like they got, got a safe place to come, you know? Yeah. If they ever need to get out of the, the fray, they can come to garden fort and, and relax and eat some good food. Well, and that's that's the difference between like the immediate work that's happening right there in your little community, not yours, but anyone's little immediate um, surroundings, you know, the work that you're actually doing. And I, I definitely hear what you're saying about that sort of silver lining idea, because I feel like, um, you know, as as scary and terrible and, and foreboding and gloomy as the situation is um it does feel like an, an awakening you know yeah. at least for privileged white people like ourselves you yeah. know and that's been an interesting realization for me that oh i i w- i felt like i was a very uh, uh aware person about um injustice and 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 inequality but i never really felt it in my heart you know and I, now i feel like so many people around us are are feeling it as well and it's it's just interesting how fear is often such a motivator <laughs> to action. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Right. And it's not a bad thing necessarily. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> that's like a can of worms. <laughs> it's a big can of worms. Yeah. I realize. And, and, you know, I feel like everybody's talking about it all the time. And it is really refreshing just to talk about, you know, creating healthy soil and, and trying to make a make a place better, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Just focus on the positive and the things that you can do, and um, sure. you know, I mean, there's a lot of like, uh, what's another book I read? Uh, what's his name? Ben Ben Hewitt. He wrote a book on like unschooling. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called Homegrown. Mm-hmm. But he he talks about like in there just how years ago he just stopped listening to the news because it was like. Mm-hmm. You know, his life and, you know, was really positive and that that was yeah. the negative thing in the background all the time. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, once you're conscious of that, you, you kind of just want to cut it out. <laughs> do you feel like you could do that? Because you're I mean, you're pretty disconnected out there. Like if you just didn't check uh, the news, do you think you could yeah, do I, that? Would your curiosity just yeah. not let you? It, there's there's definitely a part of me that wants to do that, but uh, my personality, you know, like I, it it just doesn't fit. <laughs> like yeah, I like to be aware of what's going on, uh, you know, to a certain degree. But it is, you know, I'm all, I'm aware of it. Like when I'm on Facebook, you know, if I yeah. find myself getting angry after like a couple minutes, then I just turn it off. And yeah, cause it's like. You know, you don't want that it, that negative energy can can be a real uh, like e break on your life. <laughs> can, no, it's true, but and you have the place to go. Like you turn it off and you walk outside, or you. Yeah, I just feel that's like true. when you're living the city life, you turn it off and you turn around and there it is in your face again in some other form. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I was I was in the city when the election happened, and um, mm. that was 
that was I, I could totally. Well, that's right. Second, that what you're we saying. were trying to hook up, and yeah, we kind of lost contact, and then and then the world seemed to end overnight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was uh, is it, it got really real there, and um, it was interesting. I, I, I was out like a day or two after that, after the election, and uh, I was. I was out with some some old coworkers, like having a drink or whatever, and then we we got to talking to this guy, and um, and he he was he was a black man. He was just out there. We were both just out there waiting for like our Ubers or something. Mm-hmm. And but I had this moment where I just like like when we parted ways, you know, because we were just hanging out, like shoot, shooting the shit or whatever. And but mm-hmm. when we parted ways, like we shook hands and just like looked at each other in the eye, and it was like this really powerful experience where it's just like, you know, like looking at mm-hmm. each other with respect and, and you could feel like the, the energy of, of everything that was going on and all this kind of backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was this real honest, like mm-hmm. thing where it was like, I could look at him and, and he could look at me and just, we could just know that like, you know, we're down. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no trouble here. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what it all has to come down to is like, we all just need to look each other in the eye and realize that we all want the same things, you know? Yeah. And that's, there's been a lot of great articles out there about, um, uh, which I I still haven't like fully absorbed and Mm kind of intellectualized, I guess. Uh, but just this idea of like, you know, the, the liberal city folk not paying attention to the, like the, the countryside and and the people out there and what they want and yeah uh, and also the liberal city folk not paying attention to the city folk who are who have been suffering for yeah. hundreds of years yeah you know totally. and just not real i mean knowing that it's there knowing that there's blight and knowing that there's you know extreme injustice and just not really knowing how to act not knowing how to how do you, where do you go from there? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's been an, an incredible kind of realization. I feel like with just other, you know, privileged white folks around me, you know, yeah. that we're actually having the conversation now at the very least. Yeah. Know? Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think one of the most rewarding things about moving out to the, the country, I mean, we kind of, kind of call it country burbia, but it is a conservative area. You know, there's a, a lot of Trump signs around here. And Trump went, uh, or Michigan went uh, that way, right? Yeah, ended up going to Trump. It was close. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I went that way. And uh, But, you know, I, I got neighbors who, they think crazy things. Like, they're into, you know, I have a neighbor who's super nice guy, but he's definitely, like, he's definitely racist. And he's, he definitely, he, he, like, hunts animals for sport you know like he goes mm-hmm. to like he, he goes to africa and like shoots rhinoceros or something wow um so just just nuts you Big know game. yeah like somebody who like i wouldn't want to talk to you know but right. he's my neighbor he's super helpful he's that's all like he's a retired old guy so like that's what he wants to do he wants to to help help me out and yeah um, you know, so he's over here, like telling me about firewood down the road or whatever. And um, yeah, <clears throat> so it, what's been 
it's been really rewarding to be out here um, and to commune with these these people that like we in the city you can just look at them and be like oh it's crazy like backwood yeah. backwoods you know racist people or whatever but it's like you know if you can be friends with them and you guys can talk and like my my neighbor right across the street's a good example he's a conservative republican kind of lifelong uh, he's a business owner yeah um but we when we talk about like kind of what we want and talk about politics and stuff it's like we basically want the same thing yeah there you go and uh it's great like well and if you if your neighbors you realize that you need each other on a certain level you yeah know, you yeah need, you need their expertise you need to borrow something there's a Maybe exactly. just helping each other watch out for the your houses or whatever. I mean, when we you realize that we actually have to coexist and that it's not just these kind of imaginary walls. Yeah, exactly. It's not the political, uh, you know, pony show or whatever. <laughs> right. It's it's just like real life where you're just trying to survive and and enjoy it. Well, and that's that balance, you know. I th- I think uh, so many people live online essentially and they don't ever have that moment to shake hands and look somebody in the eye that they maybe don't know that well you know and maybe they don't you know fully trust this person they never have that opportunity to just look at them in the face (laughs) for any amount of time you know yeah yeah and it's uh i don't know it's that empathy that we all need yeah yeah um so you gonna are you and Katie planning on unschooling um, <laughs> little Joni as she starts to grow up? She's uh three two. She oh no, she's like ten months now. Oh, that's right. What was I thinking? She's just so much bigger than my son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she's growing, man, growing quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ten months, but. Uh, so yeah, we won't have to make that decision anytime soon. Um, the concept interests me, but uh, you know, I, I yeah, I, I just it's it's a hard one to make because you don't want to like kind of de-socialize them at the same time. So, right. um, do you think that's true though? Because think of all the kids that grew up like you know in the turn of the century on farms. You know, they weren't. Right. Their their social socialization was their family or yeah you know which, a few other families that were had other farms around them right which that's the benefit of or it could be the benefit of it is that they're not just stuck with their own peer group and yeah. you know they don't get like yeah I mean how all you know especially teenagers and stuff they get or you just feel like you can't talk to anybody outside of like a year or two apart from you. <laughs> right. Well, and think about the benefits too of learning how to work with your hands and like your gross motor skills and your yeah kind of awareness of natural cycles. I mean, <laughs> oh, exactly. Could go on and on. That, but. Yeah, that's the big thing in this book. That that I uh, my big takeaway from that homegrown book is that uh, like it's interesting because one of his sons I don't think started reading until he was like seven, which is yeah. Like if the, if he was in school, like he oh, his, people would be freaking out, man. Yeah, they, people would be freaking out, and uh, you know, teachers would be talking about him like there's something wrong with him, and sure. and then his self esteem's like crushed. But yeah. it's just like 
it's just not this kid's like it's not like he ended up learning how to read or whatever but it's like he he's gotten all these other skills like he they they did a lot of uh they've done a lot of mentoring Mm -hmm. so they'll have like if so the kids are really into like just wandering around in the woods and like doing bushcraft kind of stuff so so they get a guy who's who's good at that stuff and then he just comes over like once or twice a week and hangs out with the kids teaches them a bunch of things so cool and so they get to like pursue things that they're really passionate about yeah and they don't have to get like you know hung up in uh all these other expectations uh that come along with you know public schooling or or whatever regular schooling yeah well it's all about priorities right and just uh you know awareness of the reality of living in a hyper competitive uh hyper information heavy stimulating world you know um i think it's refreshing to hear from people who have kind of made the jump back to the land as it were you know yeah yeah i think it's for me at least it's very uh uh therapeutic (laughs) to to just to just start to get glimmers into that kind of uh, life, especially if you're raising kids, you know, but for yeah, sure, sure. just for yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's been, I mean, we're only 10 months in, but I can't imagine. I mean, I, I left for like kind of on and off for that couple months, November and December, and that was like crazy is to miss. Like I felt like I missed so much Yeah. because uh, it happened so fast and, so it, it made me really grateful for the situation we're in where, where Katie can stay home and, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm busy all the time at home, but at least like I get those, those little moments yeah. throughout the day, uh, with, with Joni and, uh, it's great. Like, uh, yeah. it's, it's amazing. I, I, I just can't imagine it being another way. Like if, if I had to yeah. leave every day and I, I was thinking about the guys I work with or I worked with in, in Chicago that, you know, they all had kids, but I was like, well, I'm imagining by the time they got home, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock at night, like oh, yeah. bedtime. Yeah. Bedtime. You're going to, yeah. you're going to put your kids to bed and that's, that's all you get. Like aside, you know, aside from maybe some time in the morning, but yeah. So that's a lot of time that you, you're, uh, you're trading off. It's tough, man. I'm about to go on a, uh, eight day uh, permaculture um, design certification training. Oh, right on! Um, next month, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, out in Stell, Illinois, it's the Midwest Permaculture Group. Um, but it's you know it's eight days, and I <laughs> I've never I haven't been away from my son more than a day at a time. I guess. And, oh wow! Uh, yeah. I just uh, <laughs> I think I I'm I'm worried about it. Like I. I don't. I'm worried. Like, is he gonna make it? Is it gonna be difficult for him? But I have to be honest with myself. It's difficult for me because I know when I come back, he's gonna have like a. He's gonna double his vocabulary, and you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pulling some new uh, some new moves with his with his walking and running skills. You know, it's just. <laughs> I don't know, but that's that's the fun part of it too. Is just being able to appreciate those changes in a more magnified way i guess yeah yeah exactly yeah well man um it's been really great to talk again yeah definitely and uh good luck with the renovations how's, <laughs> how's apollo doing has she um or he he 
has he jumped the fence any? <laughs> no, he actually, this uh, he got out once. Uh, one of my latches on my gate has been kind of like, or was kind of rickety. I fixed it, but uh, yeah, we had a really windy day, and the wind blew the fence open, and I was in the kitchen washing uh-huh. the dishes and i just see him run out the yard <laughs> and i was like oh Man. great and so right away i went and got the other dog because if they go together then it's ca- it's no chaos oh. <laughs> oh i see what you mean but yeah. if apollo goes out on his own uh, yeah. there's a good chance he's going to come back in a, a little bit okay so right about an hour hour and a half later got a call from my neighbor and he was like yeah i just turned on a Tidehill Road, and I saw your dog. It's like actually there first I saw first I saw a couple deer run across the road. He's like, and then I saw him yeah. running right after him with a big smile on his face. And, and Apollo's white, so he really sticks out. You can't, <laughs> you can't camouflage anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So he was out having a good time, but he probably about like half an hour after that he he came back. So nice. Well, there again, man. We need our neighbors to give us a call and let us know that our dogs in their yard and yeah we need each other yeah yeah we've had a lot of good experiences uh with him running away actually like <laughs> as, as stressful as they've been it's like almost every time we meet some really cool people that are nice like one time he went he went into somebody's garage whose dog had just died so that mm-hmm. this is like morning couple morning their their oh their dog and then apollo yeah. apollo shows up just to be like Mm. you know it's okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, hung out with them for a little while they gave Therapy me all this, dog for hire yeah exactly they gave me all this old dog food they had <laughs> there you go serendipitous you know yeah yeah exactly well Lindsay, it's good to talk to you man say hi to katie i will yeah give Joni a hug for us and i hope to see you real soon we'll come out and visit this spring sometime yeah definitely you gotta come uh see the action see all the progress this time you have to promise to put me to work because last time all we did was drink beer yeah Uh, we'll we'll have to make time for both all right dude all right good luck man take care all right you too to hear more episodes featuring interviews with agriculturists artists and activists on the front lines of the food movement and to read my essays on everything from zucchini to zen visit dharmaonthefarm.com until next time Farm on.